for us to eat truly local food, we need to be eating what comes from our backyard. Yeah. Two, food is the most powerful thing that we have. And if someone can try something that's Australian and native that they haven't tried before, it might prompt a conversation, some curiosity, curiosity prompts, research, research means you become educated and educated means we all become better at being culturally aware Mm. and better at talking to our Indigenous people and better at having those conversations around culture and stop being so awkward because there's a huge elephant that exists in every room when we start talking about Indigenous culture. And welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5, where you talk to the delicious Rebecca Sullivan. Delicious! <laughs> I had to use something else there. <laughs> Just going through all my verbs uh, and I needed to... No, adjectives. Very good. It's good. Says the writer. Yeah. <sighs> but yes, I do. I speak to the absolutely delightful Rebecca Sullivan. So we spoke back in 2017, episode 171. Mm -hmm. So that was really where I dove into Rebecca's origin story, you know, why she, where she first discovered this absolute passion for food and land. And her book, The Art of Natural Home, had recently come out. Uh, In the interim, since she and I last spoke, she has released another four books. <laughs> Only four. Just four. <laughs> really beautiful books, actually. I was in a in a bookstore in Canmore, in the Rockies, Canmore. not that long, Canmore, and saw her book, one of her books, on the shelf, mm. and it gave me such a, a thrill. Are they different to her first book, or how does that so work? So they're, they're a part of a series, uh, The Art of Natural Cleaning and Homemade Beauty, mm-hmm. um, using herbs and you know tonics and things like that for health so i am going to include a link to all of her wonderful books in the show notes because she's also releasing on the 23rd of april uh her newest book which is entirely different actually she has co-written it with her partner damien coulthard and it is called wandu mai and it is a native australian cookbook so every every recipe includes uh, some native Australian ingredient. The edible landscape. It's it, it's awesome. really cool. So she and I talk a bit about that towards the end of the conversation and, you know, what sparked their interest in native foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we talk also about this incredible move that Rebecca and Damien have made recently to an off-grid farm in the Clare Valley in South Australia. And... It was really interesting to me as someone who maybe holds that as a dream sometime in my future, you know, to live in in an off-grid house and to, you know, work on the land and Mm. do all these really awesome things that I don't know anything about. It was, it was. Really? (laughs) It was really wonderful to talk to her about the realities of that and the lessons. Yeah. And the lessons that, that they have learned and continue to learn. Just going back to the edible landscape. Yeah. So I've been wondering when this is going to happen in Australia because the whole global phenomenon at the moment is, you know, with that Renee guy from um, Noma uh, in, let's say, Iceland. Okay. No, is it Iceland? Someone's going to know what I'm talking about. but It's It's not going to be me. Nope. Or me. (laughs) And it's about like just eating like local, local native. Right. Weeds, almost. Yeah, foraging. Foraging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and it's and I think it's happening all over the world. So he started it where he lives in Norway, I think Norway. Sure. And then it's happening, you know, in other parts of the world. I've seen stuff in South. He's gone to South America and done some. Anyway, so it's really interesting this foraging and native local ingredients that exactly. we just pass off as like, oh, yeah, that's a shrub or that's a bush. Or right. And a... Australia has such a rich culture, an indigenous culture of understanding ingredients that we, mm. you and I, most people would not know anything about. And that's what this book does such a wonderful job of. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you can hear the passion in Rebecca's voice about why it's important, but also why they, uh, Damien and herself also run a company that now 
has created um, food products. So you've got vinegars and oils that are infused with local Australian native ingredients and they do tea and they did a, a kangaroo broth. Uh, and I think it's just a fantastic way to not only encourage Australians, like wider Australian community, yeah. to try Indigenous foods, but also, as Rebecca says, it then opens up a pathway to conversations that Australians need to have about our culture and our country's heritage, which, you know, I think this is a fantastic... It's so... It's, uh, again, such a long time. Everyone else is doing it. Canada, like bison and elk, like venison. Right. You can get that everywhere. It's just surprising that in Australia we just haven't gone down that path. Or we did initially with, like, kangaroo. Right. But that turned a lot of people off for some reason. When I ate meat, I quite liked kangaroo. Yeah, kangaroo, like, I don't know, people, I think, found it offensive that we're eating an animal on our coat of arms, <laughs> something like that, anyway. Yeah, well, that sounds like a really interesting conversation. It, it is. It sounds pretty, like, holistic as well. And I just, I could talk to Rebecca for you ages. And that. by the yeah. way, uh, I think I'm moving into her house, so. Okay. Okay, I will well, see you at some point in the future. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> So before I uh, we, before we head off into the conversation, a couple of places that I'd love you to check out if you want to hear more about what Rebecca and Damien are up to. Uh, Wandu is their website for all things native food related. You can go and buy your teas and your oils and your other food products there. So it's w-a-r-n-d-u dot com. And you can also find Rebecca on Instagram at Granny Skills. Or you can also find her website at rebeccasullivan.com. So I really hope you enjoy the episode because I know I certainly enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. And just remember, verb, the verb is a word, it's an action word, and an adjective is a describing word. Very good. Yeah. Enjoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hey, Brooke. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good and even better to be talking to you. Well, thank you for having me again. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, well, it's mine because... Uh, I was just saying to you before we hit record how much I loved um, getting to know you and your origin story back in 2017 when we last spoke. I know, how fast, how fast has that time gone? That's insane how quickly it's gone. Um, and I just want to dive right into it because so much has changed since we last spoke. Uh, For both of us. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> across the board. <laughs> uh, but one of the the major things that I wanted to ask you about first up is – you essentially did what you were kind of going, you were talking about doing when we last spoke, mm -hmm. and you've gone and moved to an off-grid house in South Australia. I sure have. I sure have. I mean, last time we spoke, Brooke, I was sitting in a tiny little, and I mean, when I say tiny, I mean equivalent of a shoebox apartment in Bowdoin in Adelaide, which was amazing, and we had a wonderful time, and it was fantastic, but I always just felt... I don't know if yearning is the right word, but just didn't feel my true self living there, you know. Mm -hmm. I was crammed in. I was felt cluttered all the time. I had not enough space to grow things. And even though I was doing my darndest to grow things on a balcony, it's just not quite the same as being able to be outside barefoot and being completely dirty and completely covered in soil. And I think, you know, part of me always since I've been in and working around sustainability is like, of course I'm going to go and live in the country on a farm and be a regenerative farmer and live off the grid. Of course I'm going to. But then there's always, you know, a little bit of part of you that kind of goes, oh, come on, you wuss, are you really going to do it? Are you really going to do it? You know? <laughs> and then before I knew it, we were doing it. You know, it all happened so quickly. We, Damien is from the Flinders Ranges and I am from around this neck of the woods in the mid-north anyway and my parents live in Clare and we always sort of said we wanted to be closer to family and um, we just one day went, right, let's stop talking about it, let's just do it and we actually put an offer in on one place and it was a lot more expensive and way less land and a little bit too manicured for our liking, but it all being organic and, you know, everything ticked all the boxes and we didn't get it and our hearts were broken and we were like, oh, my God, now everyone's going to think we're failures, you know. And then we went, right, well, let's just look for another one. And it turned out the second property we saw was way more of a dream come true than we could have even asked for. It was three times bigger. It was a straw bale house completely off the grid. So we're in the Clare Valley uh, in a little town called Armagh. We're on 90 acres of effectively native forest. We're now 
trying to be regenerative farmers. We live in a straw bale house, a completely circular economy. So we are solar, battery, have a worm composting system, catch all of our own waste and rely on nothing but the rain, which also has its downfall, as you can probably imagine right now. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, that's a huge change from, I mean, and I know this is like you've been in kind of in training for this for many years and I know Mm. all of your work in sustainability and all of the people you've worked with over the past 10 or 15, 20 years has Mm. kind of set you up for this. But there's a big difference between wanting to and doing it. What's that transition been like? You can probably hear the the heavy breathing (laughs) at this point. (laughs) I I still wake up in the morning and pinch myself. I'm not going to lie to you. It's definitely been the hardest thing that we've ever done. We're 10 months in now. Um, It was Tammy, Joe and I that gave me my probably most valuable piece of advice, her, which was backed up by Darren and Lisa from the Agrarians and Costa from Gardening Australia, who's a great mate, all said to me before we settled and before we moved in, Please promise me, because everyone knows what I'm like. I do a million things at once, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna set up a CSA, and I'm gonna share the land with people, and I'm gonna invite young farmers to come and do. I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do that. And they went, just spend the first year observing. Right. And I went, okay, all right, all right. And I kind of was getting a bit itchy, and I'm like, what do you mean? Why do I have to do that? I just want to get on with it and do it. Why would I wait? And something happened and switched, and I went, you know what? These are people that I have so much admiration for who have done everything I hope to and and want to be when I grow up and I went I'm going to absolutely one million percent listen to these people and listen to their advice and so we're 10 months in and we haven't done anything apart from you know veggie patch and all that sort of stuff and we've just observed and it's been the most incredible thing that I could have ever done because we I don't know, being observant to nature and mm-hmm. what it has to offer offer you teaches you so many lessons and it has totally changed what we intended on doing with the property just because we were patient, you know, and um, really are putting our money where our mouth was by way of living a slower life, you know. I pretty much spent January not doing anything, which for me hasn't happened in 15 years right. by way of, you know, just being able to be outside and really just look at things and and play and smile and sometimes cry and sometimes have days where I go, oh, my God, what are we doing here, you know? <laughs> but I'm so glad I took that piece of advice. It really, um, you know, 10 months in and, you know, I've got two months to go, but I probably will take even longer than I thought I was going to. That's I, I think that's a really wonderful lesson like across the board but particularly when you're talking about something the scale of what you and Damien have taken on uh, you think of I mean had you done what I probably would have been tempted to do which is rush in with all these plans and start ripping stuff up and you know putting in like all the best intention things that would probably fall over because I hadn't taken the time to understand what I was moving into you know and all of the lessons that would have been lost in that interim of kind of trying to do too much it's like moving to France and not bothering to learn French I think I kind of compare it to that or not embracing the croissant (laughs) (laughs) you're missing out exactly at the end of the day I've moved from a two-bedroom apartment and before that you know moved from 10 years of living in London two of those living you know on on the land and going to ag college and all of that sort of stuff but I've moved from one environment to a completely different environment and how dare I come in and think I can just start digging stuff up and putting stuff in and and not get to know the bees and the birds and the kangaroos and the deer and the lizards and everything that's lived there and lived there for a lot longer than me and see where their place is in the environment and figure out where all my biodiversity exists on the property. I mean, the guys who built this house – they are just the most phenomenal people. He was an environmental engineer and permaculture teacher and when they brought the property, it had three trees on it and it was total monoculture, like complete and utter monoculture. We look at the, the overhead photos of it now and just it, it's like being in a, the Amazon versus the desert, you know. Right. And um, they they basically had two bird species. There's now 60 you know, and I spend my mo- every morning going out and recording what I see because 
as I had sort of mentioned to you earlier, Brooke, I've spent, you know, the last few days being a bit teary and a bit crying because we've noticed in the last eight weeks we have no bees. Mm. They've just disappeared. We had this absolute joyous moment, tears of the other sort, you know, three months ago when Damien and I saw a blue bandit mm. bee, which is a native bee. And we were so excited because they were buzzing around our little little plants right out, you know, the front of the house and now everything's gone and this is what happens when you stop to notice nature and notice the environment that you live in is you really pay attention and people maybe would, if they weren't paying attention, wouldn't have even noticed that the bees right. weren't there. But because I'm actively looking to try and record and try and learn from Mother Nature herself, you know, my heart's broken. I don't know what I've done wrong. I feel really like a failure. You know, our fruit trees are, we're obviously in a drought, in a really bad drought. The, this property in particular, they never had to buy water. We had to buy water mm. just for irrigation. So rather than beat ourselves up over the fact that our trees flowered but haven't fruited, um, we've just decided, you know, Damien and I went, well, what can we do about this? We're obviously not going to get any fruit this year. So what do we do? Well, we just keep the trees alive and then we try again next year. Right. So that's sort of, I guess, another part of observing as opposed to doing. And so we sort of went, all right, no more being upset. Let's just keep these babies alive because we've got an orchard and, and we don't want to – our pistachios weirdly have, have come through. We've got four huge pistachio trees. We've got beautiful pistachios, but all of our almond trees this year. So maybe, you know, anyone out there who's got an experience with almonds, I'm sure it's come down to the fact that we just haven't had enough water. Um, but it also – it mustn't be the bees because they they flowered and there were bees everywhere and it seemed as though they had been pollinated but you know I'm not an expert on on orchards by any means so maybe someone out there can write to me and tell me what I've done wrong right, do that <laughs> please get in touch with Rebecca with Rebecca uh, she needs your help um, oh, yeah it's it's interesting isn't it sort of that that noticing that you know the act of noticing that comes with the decision gradually to to slow down the way you live. You mm-hmm. you can't if you commit to that. You can't help but, but begin to notice things that you previously would have walked straight past. And Absolutely. the thing that I'm I'm thinking about a lot at the moment is that that's actually far more uncomfortable an experience than <laughs> having your head, you know, kind of down and not paying attention to anything. But because once you can't, once you see things. For as, as mm-hmm. they are, you can't unsee them, and that is you painful. cannot unsee them. It's so painful. We had this, Brooke. We had this. Um, you know, at the end of it was actually November, right? So we had this beautiful little bird nest just out one of our windows, and I had family over at the time, and all of a sudden, I'd been watching this honey eater, New Holland honey eaters, right, feed her little babies and all of a sudden these three little wobbly sort of bald heads popped up and they were chirping and everyone was sort of crying with joy watching these birds feed and the very next day we had this horrendous hail come through the valley which wiped off not only all of our leaves on our vines which give us so much shade Mm -hmm. which help us with our um, insulation um, and keeping our house cool because we obviously have no air con those three birds were dead the next day. And I went out, I all of a sudden knew something. So I had a friend over from London who's a chef of mine, Ollie Rowe, who was staying with me. And all morning I went, Ollie, I don't feel right. I'm sure these birds are dead. I haven't seen them this morning. I haven't seen them. Got to 5pm and I'm going to check on them. And they were all gone. And I cried myself to sleep that night, which seems completely ridiculous. It tears me up thinking about it now. Um, It seems so utterly ridiculous, but I've just become so aware Mm. of my environment now, uh, being an observer and realising that we're all part of this sort of ecosystem where we very much are not on top of it. We are just part of it, you know. And that, like, that was one of the saddest things I think I've seen ever. Like, I just sobbed to sleep and Damien was like, they're just birds. He was like, I am sad, I'm not going to lie, but, like, you're really taking this really hard. You're going to have to get used to this stuff. I'm like, I know, I know. (laughs) You know, it's not like I haven't seen a dead animal before, but for some reason, because I'd seen, you know, their mum feeding them and, and it, I think it was also the climate thing that's really affecting me. Of course, me. yeah. Living on the land and seeing the devastation all around me, you know, and 
one day it being hot, the next day there being a house storm and, you know, what's going on in, in the world everywhere at the moment, you know, for the we've got the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere, you know, a polar vortex and outrageous bushfires and floods and yeah. Which has also prompted me to join the CFS, so the local country fire right. service. So I've got training this weekend. Um, Good on you for doing I that, never, though. Again, well, I like, thought I'd be brave enough to do that, but um, I just thought if I'm part of this community, then I'm going to be part of this community. Exactly. And fire is part of it. Well, there was a an article that came out just today, and this is going. I mean, I'll, I'll include a link to it in the show notes, even though this is a couple of months before it comes out. But where one of the chief um, fire officials from New South Wales, I think, um, has mm-hmm. said he has seen in his career, his 40-year career, fires change. And he said, you know, the fact that climate change is still not actively being blamed for this in terms of the way politicians are talking about natural disasters yeah. is infuriating. Um, so, yeah. you know, like like you say, fires, like living where you live, living in Australia, most of Australia really, bushfires are, they have always been a way of life, but they've changed completely over the last generation. Absolutely. And the fact Absolutely. that you're willing we- to do something and step up <laughs> and be part of that is, is fantastic. It's, um, it's, I just... I can't see any other way, right? I've mm. got a bushfire plan. I have one exit from my property. I have the most amazing little caravan at the top of the hill, which is for guests to stay in, and it looks out over the York Peninsula, right? But it has horrendous northwesterly winds, and that's the way the fire comes. And if I can't understand, you know, I was talking about biodiversity earlier. So we've got all these fallen trees everywhere and you know when we first moved in that's another thing I'm like right Damien wants to go and pick all these logs up and I'm like no 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 it's biodiversity they're biodiversity corridors you know they're all part of my habitat plan because there's lizards in there and Mm. hopefully the snakes will stay there and not come to my house (laughs) because it's another thing I've really had to deal with Um, and and hares and rabbits and you know all of these things live in these but now now that I look at it from a person who's learning about fire I just see fuel right you know it's fuel for fire so I have to find that balance of being able to keep enough for the birds and the bees and the animals to live in and seek shelter from but at the same time be concerned with you know 20 years of these trees Mm. this you know beautiful little forest we've got going on on our property if I leave those trees fallen, then a fire comes through and 20 years of hard work from nature. So there's just always a compromise, right? And that's yeah. what I'm learning. There's always a compromise. There's always another side to to the story and I have to figure out how to find that balance um, in everything on this property, in everything in the way we live, you know, um, all the time. Yeah. And as you said before, uh, that takes some grappling as well. You know, the, the, the acknowledgement that we are just part of this, this mm-hmm. whole diverse kind of ecosystem of the planet. Uh, we're not at the top of it. And kind of having to really grapple with the fact that whatever we do is going to impact yeah. the environment, you know. So how do we find the best way forward, you know, because I think people get bogged down in um, the fact that, well, I'm always going to have an impact, so what does it matter? Uh, you know, that kind of helplessness that we all feel when we when we start to see these things. Yeah. So, I mean, how have you not come to peace with it, but how do you work with that? Oh, look, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I just feel like an absolute, I just can't, I'm just like, get your shit together, Rebecca. <laughs> Listen to yourself, you know, because I sometimes, like, August 22nd, right, this is a day that will stick in my mind forever because I had just spent the winter in heaven, right, fireplace, I'm obsessed with jumpers, woolen jumpers. (laughs) (laughs) I love the cold. I love Wellington boots and hats. It must be living in London for 10 years. I could live in a state of winter for my whole life and I think I would be happy, right? August 22 rolls around. I'd spent so much time out in the garden, you know, prepping for spring, pruning vines, all of that sort of stuff. It was so warm that day. It was about 22 degrees. I walk outside. The sun is shining. It's blue. There were flowers, right, which was pretty early. Mm -hmm. And I just lost my shit and Mm. started crying my eyes out. And I'm like, because all of a sudden I realized that the snakes were going to start moving now. How pathetic is that? But if anyone ever pays any attention to my Instagram or anything, I have the most irrational fear of snakes. Like 
which was also why it was such a huge thing for us to move to where we have because I can't even look at photos of snakes without dry reaching in my mouth. Right. Right. But since that moment I've taken steps to try and deal with it and I do actually hang my washing on the line and go outside now but <laughs> because we had a snake, um, you know, um, we had a snake at the property and we had the snake cage come and get it. I didn't see it but people that were at my house at the time saw it and Damien, the reality is Damien's in town teaching during the week and I'm home by myself a lot, so I've just had to come to terms with it. But things like that happen all the time and you just got to go, all right, I chose this life, I love this life, I want this life and I just have to figure out how to navigate it. And I think what I've decided to do is just let myself, let the emotion happen, let myself be angry or stressed or sad and then drop it and let mm-hmm. it go and and I'm pretty good at doing that anyway and always have been but um yeah sometimes it's really overwhelming yeah I mean like, so you just fo- you focus on the doing like once you, as you say you feel the emotion you allow it to be what it is you can feel depressed feel angry feel outraged um but then move beyond that and actually focus on the doing definitely yeah. definitely and 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 realize that actually through all of the emotion and some of the uneasy emotion uh, that's probably when I've achieved the most or learned the most anyway so like anything in life and I'm I embrace failure and always have and I think that's why I've done as much as I have in in my life so far because I'm I, I just embrace the fail, you know. I'm not afraid to fail. So being out here, you know, was just another one of those things for me. It's like, well, you know, if it all gets too much and it really is that bad, then you can always move, can't right. you, you know. You've always got another option. There's always a pl- there's always another option. But I'm also, like I said to you before, the happiest I've ever been and feel the most authentic that I've ever felt in my life being here because I feel like, I'm so living what I talk about in yep. all of my books and, and all of my writings and, and all of my life and workshops and everything I do. I, I, I really am living it, you know, 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and just listening to you talk, like, everything is in alignment with what you value. And I think yeah. there's an energy that comes when we're doing that, that you can't, you can't fake it. You can't find it anywhere else. It only comes when you're doing when you're living life in a way that that is in alignment with with everything that's important to you, and absolutely. I, yeah. the, the word there is value, and yeah. and um, you know these 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 are Damien nice values, and and we, you know, if we should be so lucky to have kids, um, if that happens, then you know we always wanted them to grow up dirty, chopping their own wood, you know, making spears out of sticks, <laughs> lighting fires, good ones to make you know cook barbecues on. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, we, we want our kids to grow up wild. You know, I want them to have a sense of nature. I, I, I want that for my kids. I don't want the trappings of technology. I want the op- option for yeah. them, you know. And I hated growing up in the country when I was doing it, but now it's the one thing I value the most mm. and hence doing it again. You know, I never thought that I would end up back in the country. If you had to ask me when I was 17, I would have been like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. City living was the only thing that was important. Oh, big lights, bring it on, you know. Yeah, busy, busy, busy stuff. Went to Melbourne on the weekend for work and I was like, oh, my God, get me out of here. (laughs) It's amazing how we change. You know what, as a parent of, of kids and I'm, you know, Ben and I are trying to raise our kids, um, it's going to be interesting this year to see where we end up settling. And, you know, we know that yeah. land and country yeah. and everything. Yeah, is... team, we've already established that. We have. Well, I'm <laughs> definitely taking you up on that. I don't care whether you were joking or not. <laughs> um, so, but like, to know that even the days where they grumble and they complain that they're living differently to their friends or whatever, the fact that you as an adult can turn around and value the way you were brought up um, and not only value it, made kind of go and live your own version of it exactly yeah you know it it really does fill me with you know hope I think that's that's it does it does make I think we ultimately our you know the parental intuition kicks in and we know what's right for our kids right and my parents somehow well we we were in in the city and they moved us to the country when we were nine ten years old they knew that's what was good for us Mm. you know and whilst we went kicking and screaming (laughs) it was what was right for us because 
it ultimately led to my life's work. You know, I, when I was 16, I hated farms. I didn't know that my food came from there and that, you know, I was only interested in in boys <laughs> and going to New York. I, I had no connection with food and farming and, you know, like they say, you can take the chick out of the country but you can't take the country out of the chick. So yeah. something great rubbed off ultimately through all of it. Also. You know, and now being part of a smaller community of, of doers, it's, yeah, it's, it's so inspiring, just inspiring in a really different way, you know. But I also think if, if I didn't get to go, you know, go go to the UK a couple of times a year for work, you know, I teach at River Cottage in the UK, which is amazing. And so that opportunity takes me back there a couple of times a year. Maybe if I didn't have that, maybe I would feel a bit differently. So yeah. I get to go off, be inspired by, by big city, whatever, and come home to my refuge and, and, when I come home, there's new flowers in the garden and new grasses are popped up and a bird that I haven't seen before and, you know, something going on out there on my property that just makes me just feel so grateful. For, mm. for, and it's not luck. Like, lucky's, uh, um, you know, first I was like, kept going, oh, I'm so lucky, I'm so lucky. But actually we worked really hard for, for this and we created this and we made this happen, you know. Well, and you, you took um, the risk. You committed to yeah. taking the risk and that's a lot. That's something that a lot of us haven't and can't do or won't do or we look at it and the risk is just it outweighs the reward still, you know, and you guys jumped in. And I totally get that. I understand that, you know, and I teach ethical entrepreneurship at Le Cordon Bleu, so I'm constantly having those conversations with, with uni students, you know, just trying to find that one thing that will unlock them Mm. to embrace failure and to follow their dreams and follow their heart and know that if they never give it a go, there will be just this immense amount of regret in your life if you don't give it a go. And worst case scenario, it doesn't work and you go and get a job. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You go and get another job. And there's always that. There's always that as your plan B. And failure is a very, very beautiful part of life. And it always teaches you your greatest lessons. Always. I, I just will stand by that till till the day I die. It will teach you your greatest lessons. And I know everyone always says it, but it's so true. Well, it is true. <laughs> and, I mean, not only is it true in, like, the, the acute immediate sense as well, It's it teaches resilience, you know, and it teaches yeah. us that to play that worst-case scenario game, okay, what's the worst that can happen? I could lose it all, okay? Then what's the worst yep. that can happen? I move back in with yep. my family. What's the worst exactly. that can happen, you know? And it, it yep. kind of just unpacks these fears that we carry around that failing once is, you know, that's it, you're done. Um, and yeah. it comes back from so many more things than we realise as well. It's oh, not yeah. just stopping you going for your dream job. It, it, they hold you back from living like living generally Fully, speaking yeah. you know whether it's money fears whether it's you know food fears whether it's you know there's everything there are so many things that you could tap into here but they genuinely sometimes you just even if it's you know just going and doing one thing that you've never wanted to do you do one thing and it just starts to roll yeah and then you, before you know it, you're doing everything you thought you never could do before. Yeah. And then you're just doing it. <laughs> exactly. And it's just that, that that whole idea behind, you know, changing the way you live. You just do it one step, step at a time. Otherwise, it looks, yeah. it's, you know, it looks unachievable because you can't see the path between where you are and where you want to be. But maybe you can see the first step. Yeah. And I think yeah. that Absolutely. if we break it down into steps, if we give ourselves the grace and the compassion to screw up sometimes uh, and keep going anyway then I mm-hmm. think so much can shift um, in the way we live. Yeah. yeah, really nice. I like that. I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned before because I think there's probably a practical lesson in here for people listening. You said that the that you guys are living in a circular, like a closed loop kind of system at your place. Yeah. What practically does that look like? Well, as best we can. So but effectively, you know, our power, we don't have it, like I said to you before, we don't have an air conditioner, which everyone thinks we're insane for because we've had so many days above 40 degrees here. But out of all of those days above 40 degrees, there was only one night where we struggled to sleep. Right. Only one, right? Imagine what that looks like. So solar panels, which feed our batteries, um, so that's where all of our power comes from. We catch water on our property in both our dams and rainwater tanks. 
and are gravity fed back up to our place. Mm -hmm. And so that's where our water comes from. Anything that goes down both of our drains, um, so we have our own grease trap, which we have to empty ourselves, which is the most disgusting thing you'll do in your whole life. (laughs) You can only imagine the smell. It's pretty repulsive. But everything from our toilet and our shower goes into a worm system, worm composting system, that then gets eaten by these mega worms like you've never seen. They're the fattest, longest, healthiest worms you've ever seen. So our compost, also, our food scraps also go into there, gets turned into wormweed effectively, and that gets let out into the orchard. Mm-hmm. So basically that's what I mean by that. So we're not like probably not truly circular in, in circular economy, but we're doing our best to close the loop on everything well, we You're everything a hell of a lot closer than most people, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine what no, no electricity bills looks like as well. That's pretty cool. That's very appealing. <laughs> we do put money into a separate account. So that when it comes time to replace the batteries, which usually have about a 15-year cycle, we we won't get caught out on that because that is a rather large investment. Yep. But basically we probably pay about 20 30 bucks a month versus I don't even know what people pay for electricity these days, but I Hundreds. know it's in the thousands a yeah. quarter yeah, yeah, some exactly. places, which is just scary. Um, you know, we were paying 300 Three, four hundred bucks for electricity in our tiny little shoebox apartment in in Adelaide. So I can only imagine what people, you know, are paying with kids and and big houses and stuff like that. So, mm. so for us, you know, that was a really, really, really important thing. You know, our house is straw bale as well insulated. We have a fireplace in the winter to which we can cook on as well, and that keeps our entire place warm. It's just it's rather incredible to think we all got. A little bit complicated and as apartment living became a thing, you know, cheaper materials and all of that sort of stuff, which angers me a bit because if we built things for longevity and for a life, for lifetime, you know, it comes back to that sort of waste, you know, disposable lifestyle sort of thing, doesn't it really? When you think about it, you know, apart, nothing's built like it used to. No, and- <laughs> my grand. Um, you know, this house is built for, for life and, and um, it's just built properly and, and the man who built it, Des, just thought of everything, you know, and everything in our place is, is reclaimed or recycled, you know. Our kitchen bench is an old institute stage. <laughs> you know, the panelling on the on the walls is, is from an old school down the road. Like it's, it's just magic when you walk around. You just go, wow, this place is just everything has been thought about and that just feels so good the energy in the place just feels good i mean it's anti-convenience isn't it that approach yeah yeah it's completely the opposite of of um well it's it's basically everything that we were hoping we'd be able to do by way of putting our money where our mouth is you know living that way so you know i've had apart from council rates i've had one bill and that was to get you know a gas bottle and that's it in nine months yeah that's so there's something that's (laughs) definitely a big benefit (laughs) <laughs> to keep our trees alive right. but hopefully that won't have to happen again for a long time if it hasn't happened 20 years before us we're hoping that we just got to you know someone up there was trying to teach me a lesson show me that it wasn't going to be a walk in the park and and this is what I signed up for yeah while you're doing and, all that uh, observing <laughs> well I'm doing all the observing here let's throw this at you yeah. let's throw observe that this yeah observe this chick <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's so much better than so many Australians out there. So, um, you know, and we, we helped a maid out by adjusting some sheep, having some sheep on our, our property, but we, you know, we couldn't keep them for very long because we're so aware of the native grasses on our property right. and we didn't want the compaction. So we only allowed him to have 17 and only for, you know, uh, for a month, but that helped him. But we couldn't do any more than that because this place – has 20 years of work put into it mm. to try and be regenerative and we couldn't risk that. So when you, you have yeah. such a, um, like an appreciation of the fragility of it too, you know, how hard the previous owners have worked and even just in the 10 months that you've been there, the things that you've noticed and uh, like the birds, for example, you know, you, you get to see the, the miracle of that unfold from them hatching book that's what i'm really aware of right right these guys had many offers for this property and they chose us Mm. because they saw thankfully they saw something in what we wanted 
to what they wanted when they bought it. And they were, they only moved because they wanted to be closer to their grandkids or there's no way they would have given up this place. You know, they saw in us what we hoped and they saw that we see ourselves in a very privileged position of being stewards to the land and nothing more, you know. We're nothing more than caretakers. Mm. Um, or um, in Ghana language, Kalangalanga. It's my fa- I've been learning um, Ghana and Aboriginal language because I'm also really aware of wanting to learn Damien's language, um, which is Adnamatna. But, um, yeah. yeah, I went to summer school this year to, to try and learn Ghana so that I could then hopefully learn um, Adnamatna as well. Um, so, yeah. That's, um, that's really, really cool. What does So what does that word – sorry, can you repeat that word again? Kalangalanga. Kalangalanga. effectively means it, it, it's basically being a shepherd, um, looking a caretaker. Uh, it's a really beautiful word. Um, and it's the one word that sort of stuck in my head. I don't think I can remember much more, but I remember that word because I was like, that's what I am. I'm, I'm a caretaker. I'm a steward. I'm, you know, trying my darndest to be a regenerative farmer and look after the soil. I'm nothing more than a soil farmer, really. Um, and create a beautiful legacy for, if you know, for whoever has the property after us, whether it be our kids or whoever takes it on from us, you know, mm. we, we owe it that. Um, you know, and that's really important to us. So Absolutely. And that's actually a really perfect segue into what else I wanted to talk to you about, which is um, a, a project that Damien and yourself have worked on together, um, a book called Wandu. Yep. So I know when we last spoke, we, you and I just scratched the surface of what you were doing at Wandu, your business, um, and now you've written a, a, like a native food cookbook that is being yes. released very shortly. So tell me, what was the seed of that, that idea behind Wandu, the, the company, and also the book? So I think, well, the seed for Wandu was ultimately, you know, here's me banging on about granny skills for the best part of 10 years and respecting our elders' knowledge and, and, and skills and protecting them and also banging on about local food mm-hmm. and having that aha moment of having an Aboriginal partner who, well, he lost his pop and realised, oh, I finally get what she's doing with this granny skill stuff, you know, because he got dementia first, which meant he couldn't pass on any of his stories. And in Aboriginal culture, things are passed on orally, not written down. So I'm, on the one hand, going round to grannies, writing down their recipes furiously, and then in his culture that totally doesn't exist. And both of us just having this moment of, oh, my God, we need to do something about this. I lost my great grandmother Lil, which prompted the Granny Skills movement. He lost his 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 pop, which prompted him desperate to preserve his culture. I'd never, you know, I bang on about local food, but had never actually tried anything local. And mm. I had this huge aha moment, which went, "Oh my god, what a hypocrite you are, Rebecca! You talk about local food systems as a job, and you'd never tried wattle seed or lemon myrtle, or you know, the only time I tried kangaroo was when my French friends cooked it for me, and." <laughs> That moment, <laughs> the irony, you know, the irony, right? The, the, that moment was literally like the biggest light bulb that has ever happened, ever. Like I just went, shit, we got to do something about this. So Wandu means good. Um, we champion Australian native food, but we don't just mean good as in it tastes good. The word good has to be social and environmental as mm. well. So we started a company three years, four years ago, um, it's very small. We all work on it very part-time. We've got an amazing business partner in Sydney named Siobhan who is helping us grow it with the time that we have to put into it. But we also really wanted it to just grow organically and move at the speed it was intended on moving. But effectively we're just trying to show every Australian that for us to eat truly local food, we need to be eating what comes from our backyard. Yeah. Two, food is the most powerful thing that we have. And if someone can try something that's Australian and native that they haven't tried before, it might prompt a conversation, some curiosity, curiosity prompts, research. Research means you become educated and educated means we all become better at being culturally aware. Mm and better at talking to our Indigenous people and better at having those conversations around culture and stop being so awkward because there's a huge elephant that exists in every room when we start talking about Indigenous culture. And that's because we, our education departments let us down by not teaching us language from primary school, you know, and so many other more complicated things. But what it has done is it's, it's, it's made Damien really 
connect to culture in a different way. Mm. And because I've been now cooking with native foods for five years or whatever, I've been experimenting. It's taught me how to cook in a different way. I thought, you know, every Australian needs this. The industry has grown a little bit further to the point that these things are more accessible. But for the industry to be sustainable, every Australian needs to be able to open their pantry and for there at the very least to be some wattle seed in there or some lemon myrtle powder or do you know what I mean? Like it can't just be on a fancy restaurant menu every now and then. Right, like a trend kind of thing. It needs to be just a a staple. A trend. It just Mm -hmm. needs to be the norm. So the book is called Wandu Mai, which means good food um, in Damien's language, and it's 100 recipes just showing people how simple it is and where they can get all this stuff and that by chat by you know supporting this industry we are you know working towards reconciliation on a plate Damien and I like to talk um about reconciliation on a plate you know food being powerful if you look at every great great problem the world has had food has been a part of bringing people together in every situation and we feel really strongly that that's what we can do so the book comes out April 23 and we're so excited and I said this to you earlier Brooke the book's been picked up by Big W which doesn't may not sound like a lot to everyone listening but that is huge because that is mainstream right Big W is mainstream and if Big W see value in a book about native food which four publishers before my amazing publisher Robert Hachette said yes to said no it's too niche no it's Mm. too niche and Robert went yep love it and he went that is not too niche and Big W don't think it's too niche so we're moving in a right direction and that is just for us epic we're just so chuffed that big w said yes to this book which means it's going to be in in, even if it's a person picks it up and puts it down again they've learned a word they might have seen a new ingredient that'll stick in their head it always does and and that might cause them to go and buy some lemon metal absolutely yeah i I mean I, i i absolutely love the the philosophy behind both Wandu the company and Wandu Mai the book, um, because as you said, bringing people together over food is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that like, we were talking about it, I think it was before we hit record, but the fact that a like a big retailer has picked it up is thrilling to me because it means yeah. um, that that people who wouldn't have necessarily ever considered cooking with native ingredients we'll just start to think of it as a possibility. Uh, And that to me is a huge step forward. Yeah, definitely. It's a stepping stone. And once you cook with one thing, you know, it's, it's, and the book is all about being, having the opportunity to sub one thing in in and one thing out. Really it's, you know, it's the basis of cooking. So if you can get some warrigal greens, get rid of the English spinach and use that instead. It's Mm -hmm. just showing people, you know, how to do that. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden I want you to go and detox your fridge and your cupboard and only have native food in it. That's not possible yet. But if we all do these little steps, one day that might be possible that everyone has some greens in their drawer, some meat in their freezer, you know, some seasoning in their cupboard and something growing on their balcony or in their garden, you know, and that for us, that's that's powerful. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah, I think everything that you're doing at the moment is incredibly powerful. Um, Thanks, man. And honestly, I can't wait. I don't to feel see. like it sometimes. <laughs> no, well, I know, I know, and I think that's how you know you're in the you're in the thick of it. You're in the mess of it. Yeah. Um, but you're yeah. you're actually I'm doing it. Definitely in the mess of it. Yeah. Definitely in the mess of it. <laughs> no, I'm really. I mean, I don't know if it doesn't sound too dorky, but I'm really proud of you and everything that Thanks. you're doing. I'm really proud of you too because you took a leap of leap of faith, not really knowing what was around the corner, you know, picking up everything and going to Canada. Yeah. And it's amazing, you know, and that's what it is. It's just being brave, right? And um, every day I have to be brave. Well, for one, in case I'm going to step Snakes. on a brown snake and get bitten. <laughs> oh, but, but two, you know, just making a decision that could impact, you know, this property that we live on or, you know, all of that stuff. Um it's just about being brave and mm. and I've got an amazing support network. I've got incredible friends and I've got, you know, amazing family and I've now got a crazy-ass puppy named Waddle who um, I now feel like I know what it be, feels like to be a parent because she <laughs> keeps me awake. Um, so I've had way less sleep in the last month than I've ever had in my life. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, I feel um, – yeah, it, it's amazing. It's a it's a really amazing feeling. While sometimes it's overwhelming, and sometimes I feel like a failure, 
And sometimes I go, what the hell are you doing here? Let's just sell it. <laughs> That's very rare. Um, it's it's outweighed by watching the sun go down, going outside to take the dog for the toilet and actually remembering to look up because I've mm. got a sky full of stars, being able to invite friends or anyone that wants to come and stay with us because they need a break this dark at night and perfectly quiet place to sleep in and relax and rejuvenate and we've built we've got this little art studio book um that we've actually like completely painted white inside which is the most amazing photography studio and place to write and place to paint and we've built a pottery studio underneath it so we can have you know, creative people come and stay and, and make the most of it. That's what we want for it, right? Yeah. Um, so our big plan for the year is we're actually going to be building a food school. Oh, wow. Um, so we've got this little 1920s cottage down the bottom of the property. property. Um, so we'll be building a food and farming school. So not just somewhere you'll come and learn to make bread. I, I feel really grateful I get to teach in some of the most amazing schools in the world I teach at Ballymaloo and Ireland and River Cottage in the UK regularly and the Agrarian Kitchen in Tassie and I love Rodney and Seven. I've learned so much from them and I've done so many workshops and teach so, so many places and have built this beautiful network of amazing people who love to share their skills. So I figured why not do it where we live. So that's our plan for the next year or so is we're going to be building this place where people can come and learn and but learn about farming from a holistic, organic, mm. biodynamic perspective. So if you come to learn how to make sourdough, you'll learn to mill your own wheat, you'll learn about wheat, you'll learn about different, you know, um, varieties. Um, it'll be about the entire chain as opposed to just, you know, learning how to make something for tea, you'll learn the agricultural side of it as well right. and then next year we're having an event as well um called AgFest. so that's two really exciting things that we get to work on um and our, obviously our school will have a real um sort of native food focus as well which will be amazing to be able to pass some of this stuff on to other people so that's sort of the big thing that we've got going on this year it's just um, those ripples plans. everything i mean it's all just rippling out yeah feels like everything was meant to happen this way yeah. and you know it goes oh everything happens for a reason god the amount of times my mum said that to me and I've wanted to stab <laughs> her in the face with a big pen um you know she's always right and she was right <laughs> mums usually are I'm discovering the older yeah. I get yeah. just elders in general right it's yeah. not even mums it's no. just anyone older than us <laughs> yeah exactly they've, they've been through it they know what they're talking about um and by the way I am moving in just so you know <laughs> By the way, you're so welcome because sometimes it's really lonely being there by myself because um, obviously my partner works in town during the week and sometimes I'm just like, I just want someone to come and work, you know, hang out. So um, anyone out there listening, if you just want to lob at my place for a week, all you have to do is do some weeding and, you know, fend off some snakes for me. There's not really that many snakes, but and you can come and hang out and be inspired. I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to set up our little caravan up the top of the hill for, for people to come and work and write and do whatever you know just be in that place and we also would love to give some of our land to um some young farmers who don't have access to land mm. so i think we're going to put 10 10 you know divvy up 10 acres into little acre blocks and and offer that to people as well um you know and even if it's people that come up a couple times a week from town or whatever i, I really believe in that in giving people access to land because look what's happened to us just by having access to land yeah. you know it's opened up this world of possibility. Absolutely. So watch this space, really. Watch this space. Watch this space. And, um, you know, like I said, if anyone's got any advice for bringing bees back or keeping snakes away or <laughs> any of those overwhelming things, help. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Brooke. Thank you. And I hope to see you and the fam bam on the farm very, 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 very soon. Oh, don't, don't doubt it. By the time you get here, there'll be weeds to pull, I'm sure. <laughs> Who is that? Hi, Puck.